All right, good evening. All right, so we are hopping through um, the end times. We're just cruising on through the whole timeline. If you need some timelines, we do have um, some extra ones up here. Um, but we are now in Revelation chapter 12. If you have a smartphone and you have not signed up for the version app, please do so. All the notes, um, text, all poll questions, all that kind of fun stuff is on the version app. So just go to the version. Type in or hit the live button, type in Cornerstone Chandler, search for the mine, and blam, there we are um, with all your notes. And this is another opportunity for you to be able to ask questions. Um, if I don't cover them tonight or you don't want to do the whole mic thing, you can ask questions on there. Also gives out some prayer requests and uh, any prayer requests we have coming from you. So that that is a pretty cool app we've got set up. Tonight's topic is an interesting one. It's a scary one. And, and so I'm, let's just go ahead and open... To Revelation chapter 12. And before we get to there, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, um, to just dig into your word. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you illuminate your word for us. I pray that it is your words, your vision, your wisdom that we have and that we don't add anything or take anything away from it. Heavenly Father, as we talk about the topic tonight, and it's such a important but yet dangerous topic. I, I just pray that you protect us, that you, know, you keep us focused in on your messages in your precious name. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. And it says, verse 1, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head, She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. This is a good segue into Halloween. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, with rule, or who, with who, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accursor of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman who had given was given two wings of a great eagle 
so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away from the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their t- to their testimony about Jesus. Everybody go, whew! <laughs> wow. This is about the moment where skeptics go, peace out, they're, they're just done. It's just too much. Um, and to be honest, as we look at this, even us Christians are going, wow, that is crazy. How many, be honest. How many, when you first read that, whether it was tonight or way back, when you first read that, you just stopped and went, say what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. How many go, oh, that's speaking my language. I understand that totally and completely. <laughs> Very good. Tonight we're going to talk about this whole idea of the devil. And I remember when I was young, and I've told you this before, I remember my only knowledge really of Jesus was the the movies that came out every Easter with the Jesuses that never blinked. Did you ever notice that all the Jesus movies, Jesus never blinked? Never, never blinked. Go find it. It never blinked until the passion. Okay. Always walked at three quarter speed, did everything like this. It's just weird. And, and, but it was cool. And, and we had the mini series of Jesus. Um, and, and so I, I would know that Jesus. He was a little scrawnier than what I thought maybe the God of the universe would be. But, um, and the only other way I knew Jesus was at Christmas time. On top of my grandma's TV, she had a nativity, and, and Jesus was a little wooden figurine. Didn't even come out of the bed. He was stuck to it. And, and that, that's all I knew of Jesus growing up. We got back from Kenya, and we were over in Kenya um, this summer, and we were shopping on one of the last days. And we came across this, and, and I know it's going to be hard to see, um, but this is a little nativity scene. A little Kenyan nativity scene. It's got some pretty cool figures here. Got some straw animals, and let's see, we'll set this dude right here. There's a shepherd, and and it comes with all these really cool pieces. There's one thing, though, that is missing from this scene. Can anybody guess it? It's missing pretty much from every nativity scene I've ever seen. Satan. Satan. Now, that's probably good marketing. Um, it, it's probably understandable why you don't put Satan there to scare all the kids. But, but it's amazing that how we often brush past Satan. We treat him as allegory or myth. Something that you might find on the other end of the closet in Narnia. But someone who's not real. I mean, Satan isn't really real, is he? In the two horns and the tail... Is that really real? In fact, George Barna, he's um, one of the top um, researchers in, in all the world. Um, he's basically um, where Gallup left off, Barna took over, and, and he researched. And over 60% of all people believe Satan 
absolutely does not exist. Absolutely does not exist. But here's the shocking thing. 45% of born-again believers believe Satan is a myth. That he represents evil. But that he isn't really alive. Can I tell you there can be no more dangerous move to discard Satan as myth? As someone who just represents something? Satan is alive and well. Satan is alive and well. And we often leave him out. Well, tonight, John made sure he didn't leave Satan out. And he, he's the central character of this story. So let's look at um, chapter 12. And let's walk through this verse by verse. Because I want, want you to really catch this. Because it is confusing. It is confusing until you start understanding the symbolism. And not only the symbolism where this takes place, because as we've talked, we've got the timeline going through on the tribulation. And every once in a while, John takes a moment, a pause, an interlude, a a, a parenthetical moment to say, wait a second, let me tell you about something. And he does another one of these stops. and, And he talks about this character here in chapter 12. Verse one, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. A great sign appeared in heaven. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So the first thing that we see here is John saw a great sign. Anytime you see the words, a great sign, that's automatically going to tell you this is not literal. Okay. This is a sign. This is a symbol. This is a symbolic of something. And for the first 11 chapters, we really didn't see that. Now we're about to see a whole bunch of lists of signs. It was a great sign. So it's not a literal woman. So who is this woman? Some of them said, well, this has got to be the Virgin Mary, because as you read down, it, it looks like the child is a representation of Jesus. Well, the last part is correct. But this is not a reference to Mary. This is a reference to Israel. This is a reference to the nation of Israel. A great sign appeared in heaven and a woman clothed with the sun. With the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. On its heads. We are going to pass on by that whole descriptive part of the dragon because we're going to hit it next week in chapter 13 because it's going to explain what these, the horns and the heads and the crowns mean. But who is the dragon? Who is it? Satan. So here we have this sign, a woman, a pregnant woman who's about to give birth and we have another sign, this, this red dragon. The woman... Clothed in sun. If you remember Joseph's dream from Genesis chapter 37, 9 through 11, he identified the sun and the moon in his dreams as representation of his parents. And the 12 stars representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is where we think and we most likely understand that, that this is representing Israel. The second sign was the dragon. And God later identifies, or John later identifies in in verse 9, that it is Satan himself. A red dragon. Now, we remember from the red horseman, what does red um, 
almost always represent. Blood or bloodshed or war. So here we have this woman pregnant and we have this red dragon. This red dragon who's ready for war, ready to devour, ready for bloodshed. This woman represents Israel. And then John writes about in verse 4. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Over the next several passages, or over the next several verses, we're going to start walking down Satan's history. From the very beginning, all the way until the very end, which we are in. And so what's talking about Satan's tail flung a third of the stars. Remember how we talked earlier, what do stars often represent? Messengers or angels. So stars often represent angels, both good or bad. So Satan's tail flung and swept a third of the stars with him. This is representing the fallen angels that decided to follow Satan when he rebelled against God at the beginning of time or at the beginning of creation. If you turn to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And this is a prophecy that Ezekiel gave about the king of Tyre. Now this is a literal king. That existed. But then all of a sudden the prophecy starts to take a little twist. Ezekiel stops talking to the king about himself and starts basically looking through the king and starts prophesying to Satan himself. The one, the entity that's actually possessing the king. And we've seen Jesus do this before. Peter would be talking to him and then all of a sudden Jesus looks right through Peter. And who does he address? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And so this is exactly what what God's doing through the prophet Ezekiel. Verse 12. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. Okay, so obviously the king of Tyre was not there. The garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite. Emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, lapis lazuli, that's fun to say, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a garden cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the days you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, garden cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you were corrupted by your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before the kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have discredited or desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you, and I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. This prophecy God gave through Ezekiel. Aimed right at Satan. Let Satan know exactly what he did, where he came from, where he is currently at, and where he will be one day. 
Now imagine Satan sitting there listening to that. And so here we have this character named Satan, the devil, the adversary. From the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we see Satan's numerous attempts to try to thwart God's plan. From the very beginning. Remember Satan in the garden. For those who are here during the summer, what happened in chapter 3? Okay? Eve was at it. Let me see. Your timeline would be over here. Eve was here. It's not the end of days yet. Okay? Eve was here. There's a snake in the tree. Who possessed the snake? Who took over the serpent? Satan. Okay? And then what happened? You remember the conversation between Satan or the serpent and Eve? What did he get her to do? Twist God's word? Add to God's word? Delete from God's word? And then ultimately, disobey God's word. And at one moment in time, Adam and Eve turned their back on God and acted independently of God's plan for their life. That's the definition of sin, when you act independently of God's plan. From that point on, we went from perfection all the way over here to a fallen and sinful world. And Satan, numerous times, has been trying to thwart this whole thread. From this tree, remember the first promise of a Messiah in chapter 3 of Genesis. This thread has been weaving throughout the Old Testament. From chapter 12 of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham and his family. And from chapter 12 on, the entire Bible is about Abraham and his lineage. That's why we don't talk about the Great Wall. That's why we don't talk about anything in the Western Hemisphere. That's why we don't... Because it's focused on Abraham and his lineage. Why? Because that's where the thread's coming through. That's where the promised Messiah is coming through. That's where the bloodline is coming through. And so Satan sits at the porch of that bloodline throughout the Old Testament. Over and over and over and over again, Satan is trying to thwart God's plan. We saw it in the garden. We saw Satan tried to pervert God's bloodline through Genesis chapter 6. After the flood, we saw Satan moved on Esau, on Pharaoh, on David, Haman, and on and on and on and on again. Satan's plan is to thwart God's plan. That's what he lives for. Where does Satan live today? He roams the earth and he has residence or he has the ability to go in heaven. And what does he do in heaven? He accuses. Day and night, he stands as an accuser of who? God's people. And so from this point... Remember, perfection's all the way over here. From this point, everything is focused forward to the cross. Everything in the Old Testament, all the prophecies, all the sacrifices, is aimed towards the cross, towards this coming Messiah. Then Jesus comes, and the Word becomes flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus died. On a cross for our sins. And he rose again, arose again three days later, conquering sin and death. 
for each and every one of us, giving us the opportunity, if we so choose, to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. What was once death, which means separation, Jesus gives the opportunity for us to close that gap and have a relationship again. From this point to this point, everyone is destined to hell. We're already on that path. From this point, there becomes a new path. But you have to hop on it. You have to accept that gift. And so from this point to this point, Satan has been trying to keep the Messiah from the cross. Trying his hardest to keep the Messiah from being born. The minute this happens, Satan's battle plan turns. Because see, from here to eventually when the tree of life is reestablished in heaven, everything points back to the cross. We live in a time, that's why we don't have the sacrificial system. We're not pointing ahead to anything. We're pointing back to Jesus' work on the cross. Satan can no longer keep Jesus from the cross, but he can keep us from the cross. And so Satan's goal from this point to this point is to keep God's people away from Jesus or to keep people away from Jesus and to accuse those who have already been to the cross in front of God. The Bible talks about Satan. Being our adversary. First Peter. Five, eight through nine says, be of sober spirit, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Resist him, be firm in your faith. Did you see how chapter 12 ended? The dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who kept God's command and held fast to their testimony about Jesus. Satan wants to win. Now, I don't know if Satan honestly believes he can win or if he knows he's going to lose and he's just going after. I don't know. I don't know of his mind. All I do know is Satan's real. And there's nothing in the Bible to indicate that Satan is not real. Nothing in the Bible that indicates that Satan's just a myth or a symbol of evil. Satan's made an appearance at every juncture. Every juncture. That's why I loved The Passion of the Christ. Now, it's not one of those movies where you sit there and eat popcorn. But it's really the first Jesus movie that portrays Satan exactly how he is. Right at the side of of Jesus right there trying to keep him from the cross trying his hardest remember satan in the desert tempting jesus three times tempting him physically tempting him emotionally tempting him spiritually all three times jesus comes back to god's word remember the three times he tempted eve Tempted her physically, tempted her emotionally, tempted her spiritually. All three times she failed and twisted and added and deleted from God's word. Satan has his schemes. Turn with me to John. First John. It's just a little bit to your left. First John chapter two. 
And this gives Satan's three-prong attack. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. And the world here represents the fallen world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's number one. The lust of the eyes, that's number two. The pride of life, number three, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Satan's three-pronged attack, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Physical, emotional, spiritual. Jesus resisted by using God's word. Eve failed as so many others have failed, as did Adam. By not going to God's word. Chapter 12, let's look at verse 5 here. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. How does Israel give birth? Well, Jesus comes out of Israel. Jesus is the bloodline out of Israel. He's the promised Messiah. Jesus today has ascended. He is at the throne of God. So unable to destroy Jesus, in verse 6, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Well, we see from this point in the garden to this point, the Bible's focus is on what? And on who? Israel. From this point, all the way until chapter 4, the rapture, God's focus is the church. Once the church is taken up, the catching away, the rapture, God's focus goes back to Israel. And we talked about this last week or the week before. And so now we are back into the end times. We're back into the tribulation. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. This is referring to the last part of the tribulation. So let's look at verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Okay? At the very middle of the tribulation, Satan is finally cast out of heaven. He's finally cast out in heaven. Revelation talks about a war between who? Good and bad, basically. Michael and his angels... Michael the archangel and his angels and Satan and his angels, fallen angels, demons. Who wins this battle? Good. The good side wins. It's really not even close. Did you notice who the battle was not between? Between God and Satan. They are not on an even playing field. Satan can't, can't even take care of Michael. He has no chance against Jesus or God. This battle is between Michael and his angels and Satan and his. Who wins? The good side. 
We see a reference to this also in Jude 9. Let's look at verse 8. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was what? Hurled down. That's a slam dunk. This isn't like, okay, off with you. This is a... He got hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Gives a great description. The serpent of old ties in the garden. The devil, the word devil means to slander or to falsely accuse. Gives another title, Satan. Satan literally means adversary. So Satan is our adversary. He slanders, uh, he falsely accuses. He is the father of lies. That is what he does. And at this point, he is no longer able to do that. And so he is hurled down. In verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, and we don't know necessarily whose loud voice this is, but we heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. So this voice could represent the martyrs that we've referenced earlier in Revelation, but we can't be dogmatic on that. For the accuser who, or for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, remember that's Satan's role, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Notice what defeats Satan. The blood of Christ. Christians, Satan cannot possess you. He cannot control you. He can oppress you, but he cannot, he cannot control you. The excuse the devil made me do it, not valid. But he can, can cause pain. We win over Satan by the blood of Christ. Now, by the way, this doesn't mean we get arrogant about that. Now, we just got back from Jamaica and we do the, a cheesy old skit down there. Called the champion. And it's this battle between uh, Jesus and Satan. And we know that technically is not. It's, but. And, it, and, and it's a song that, that comes from this 80s. Um, I don't know what he is. 80s rapper slash singer. Carmen. Anybody know Carmen? Woo! Yes. I love Carmen. Actually, I can't stand his music. But he is a good Christian brother. Um, but some of his songs, I go, ooh. I don't know if we should. We, we should sing about that because it's sort of like, I'm going to meet devil in the street and I'm going to shoot him with him. What does the Bible tell us to do with Satan? No, go full France, flee, get out of there, flee Satan, flee the devil. Cause he is dangerous. He's dangerous. I remember when I was a, uh, just graduated high school and I was just sort of hanging around the church and Lynn was our youth pastor and I was working with him and I'm, I remember him 
talking with a girl, and she came in, and she was just talking with several of us, and she said, hey, I'm going to do a report on Satanism and on witchcraft and the occult. And me, I come from a heavy metal background, Iron Maiden, and, uh, and, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. I can give you some cool stuff, okay? And Lynn looked right at her, and he said, I wouldn't. And I was like, what? I, I honestly looked at Lynn like, why? Put your hymnal away. What? What are you talking about? And he went on, he said, he said, you know, I, I'd be real careful. Because the minute you start delving into the occult, it has the opportunity to snatch you. And we never want to give the devil a foothold. We used to have youth groupers go, hey, we're going to play the Ouija board. No. That stuff is dangerous. I don't care if it says Milton Bradley or Parker Brothers. It's dangerous. Well, we're going to consult the spirits. We're going to play some of these witchcraft games. Dangerous. The Bible says flee. Flee. Satan is dangerous, but because of the blood of Christ, we have victory over him. We don't have to be scared of Satan, but that doesn't mean we, we get in his face. So not only do we have victory by the blood of Christ, but in verse 11, look at the next thing. And by the word of what? Their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. We talk about the last half of the tribulation being the great tribulation. Being unbelievable persecution. Unbelievable pain. Well, this is part of the reason why. Satan is full force. He's already lost the original battle with God. He lost with Jesus. And now he wants to go after God's people. And on the earth at this time, we've got Israel. And then we've got a bunch of new believers down there that Satan is going to go after. But the Bible talks about God is protecting them. Verse 13 When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. Who's the woman again? Israel. Who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half, a time out of the serpent's reach. Okay? So this is, this is a, This is referencing back to an Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament, the Bible talked about Israel had been given wings as protection. Wings as protection. God helped Israel escape from Pharaoh. If you look at Exodus 19.4 or Deuteronomy 32.11, it references God gave them eagles' wings. And... One way to stay away from a ground-dwelling serpent is to be up in the air with an air-bound eagle. And so it's the ultimate symbolism of protection away from Satan. 
And it was used many different times in terminology in the Old Testament. And it's being used here again, referencing how God is going to protect Israel towards the last half of the tribulation. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So we're getting close to the end. Satan's furious because he knows what it is. Ezekiel say his time is running short. He's lost every battle he's waged. And now he's trying one last ditch effort to destroy, to devour, to go after. There's a reference there. Water like a flood coming out of his mouth. I, I've, I've tried to research that. And, and, and there's difference... Difference or differences of opinion. Some say that it's probably an allusion uh, um, to some kind of army that's uh, uh, protecting. Some say, and I, I tend to probably float with this one, that, that it's representing the, the torrent of, is just the overwhelming evil that is coming out of Satan aimed at God's people. And then just like so many times in the Old Testament, God got rid of the evil by what? Sucking it up as the earth opens. And so apparently the earth is going to open up again and stop this from happening. So as we close tonight, before we open up for some questions, chapter 12 is a powerful chapter. It can get real confusing, and and it probably still is confusing. Um, We are going to talk about the horns and the the heads and all that next week because it's going to go back into detail on that. But again... The main thrust of Revelation is revealing Jesus Christ. Chapter 12 reveals his adversary. The ancient old serpent, the devil, Satan. From there to here, he tried to keep Jesus off the cross. From here to here, he's going after us. He's going after ministry that reaches out to people. He's going after churches. He wants to keep people from the cross. You realize Satan doesn't win if you join the occult. Satan wins if you join anything or you're part of anything that is apart from God. Whether you join the occult or a cult or atheism or any other. Satan wins all all those conditions. As long as... He doesn't even care if you worship him. As long as you don't turn your life over to Jesus. That's why I often tell people that go on the mission field. You are going to face a spiritual warfare. You start telling people about Jesus. Watch how quick the adversary is going to be at your door. You start telling people about Jesus. Watch how quickly you're going to face trials and persecutions. The Bible, again, does not promise us comfort. In fact, that's a lie. One of the biggest lies, aside from the fact that Satan doesn't exist, is that at the center of God's will, you will be comfortable. 
at the center of God's will, you're going to be in the most danger you've ever been in. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be challenged. You're going to go through pain and obstacles because you've got an adversary that wants to devour you, wants to devour your ministry, wants you to focus on things so that your candlestick gets removed if you were here for chapter 1. But if we hold firm to our faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus has already won the battle, has already won the war. And if we hold on to the testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives, in our ministries, and we flee Satan, we're not afraid of him, but we stay away from those things that could cause us to fall. Pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. When those things come up in your life, Turn to Jesus. Turn to God's word, the testimony in your life. There will be a time, and heaven will celebrate. Heaven's going to celebrate when Satan gets thrown to earth. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about an ultimate celebration when Satan is no more. How amazing is that going to be when Satan is no more? No more pain, no more fear, no more hurt. And we live for eternity on this side. This is how it was designed. Everything between the trees is fallen. It's an anomaly. It's not how it was designed. This is how it's designed. And we can look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. We thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for the power that's within the words there. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we talk about Satan, I, I, I pray that we don't do anything to glorify him, to make him sound great. Because it's all about Jesus, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, I pray for those in here, myself included, who might be going through struggles. who might be going through temptations, who might be engaged in a battle. Heavenly Father, I pray that we rest upon the truth that's found in Ephesians chapter 6. That we need to stand firm against the devil's schemes. That we need to put on the full armor that is you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ. We thank you that he won the war. And it wasn't even close. And Heavenly Father, I just pray for each and every person in here. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are going to be coming this Thursday night. And I pray that your light will illuminate October 31st. Because it's not Satan's day. Every day is your day. And Heavenly Father, I pray that all those people that come will see the love of Jesus Christ in the smiles and the fun. And Heavenly Father, I pray that ultimately someone who steps on this campus might be dealing with some struggles will turn to you. Whether it's through the ministry of this church or it's through the ministry of someone who brought them. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are going to come here this Thursday night. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory. We thank you for everything you've done for us. We love you and we praise you in your precious name. Amen. All right. Do we have any questions? And remember, you can email the questions. You can go on the U version and ask. We've been able to get several of those. And then, of course, I'll be here at the end.
Yep. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you, I know you didn't want to cover right now, but seven is a number of deity. So when you were talking about seven heads in uh, chapter 12, I just wondered why Satan is... Uh... Yeah, seven, seven is more, more representative of the number of completion, as is the number three. So it, when, whenever you see the number seven, it, 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 it's complete. Um, and so when, we'll get there next week, but when we talk about um, this whole idea uh, of the seven, it, it's going to represent more of that. Yes. Hello. Hi. Um, I heard something recently, um, and I want to get your opinion on it. Okay. Some, is it possible for us to have thoughts that are not our own and it comes from Satan? Okay. Is it possible to have thoughts that are not our own and comes from Satan? I believe, yes, Satan can place Ideas, thoughts, temptations. Um, uh, I, I believe that, that that's absolutely a possibility. What happens, though, is because we are sealed, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, Satan and the Holy Spirit cannot share the same, or Satan or the fallen. And that, that's another misnomer, by the way. Satan is not God. Satan is not all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful. He can only be in one place at a time. So if Satan's actually tempting you, you're pretty important. Something, something's happening big. But, but remember that whole third, all the fallen angels, they have, they have a lot of power to tempt, to place, um, um, to cause oppression, to cause sickness um, upon people. But if you are a believer and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, you cannot be possessed. Okay, so he cannot take over your body and, and go full exorcist type, type stuff on you. Okay. Yes. Oh, great study, by the way. Uh, my question was, um, you know, it talks about lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. Well, the enemy was cast out of heaven, but was Lucifer cast out of heaven because he was proud? Okay, here's, Satan fell because ultimately pride. I mean, I mean, when, when you break down sin, we, we look at in First John First um, John um, two, what was that? Fifteen through seventeen. And we see the three prongs: the lust of the flesh, eyes, and the pride of life. And almost every sin you can think of are going to fall into one of those three categories. But those three categories fall under pride. Okay, it's basically acting independently, putting yourself on the throne above God, doing what, placing yourself above God. Satan's sin, his fall, was placing himself above God, and so that. So that's where that happened. Now, Satan has not been thrown out of heaven yet. That is a future, future thing. He still has access to accuse and all that kind of thing. Yep. I'd just like to ask a question about in the last days when uh, people are seeing the horrific things that happen. Um, I was told somewhere in the Word that it says that even people won't be able to commit suicide just to get out of it. Yeah, well, we actually talked about that, um, gosh, it was, I think it was right before, before the break. Um, there will be a time where people are going to be, be wanting death, and death will not find them. So, yeah, that's absolutely biblical. Um, and I, I can't imagine what that looks like. I don't know if it's like, um, what was it, Groundhog Day, where you step in front of the bus and bing, bing, bing. You know, I don't know what that is, but death's going to elude them. Yes. You mentioned fleeing Satan, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's a great idea. I, 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 I get that. Uh, 
However, James 4.12 says that if we're submitted, therefore, to God, mm-hmm. if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Absolutely. So here's what I mean by, by fleeing, um, resist, obviously, is turn away. Because anytime Satan is getting a grasp on you, most often your back is turned towards Christ and you're facing straight at Satan. So anytime, that's what repent means, is to turn. The minute you do this... You're in the right. You're in the right position. Your back is. You're fleeing. So remember, remember Joseph fleeing from the temptation. You're turning away. You're repenting from whatever Satan's up to or whatever his minions are up to, and you're resting. You're standing firm, as it says in Ephesians, in the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And you're, you're. So that that's what I mean by that. So, but great, great point. Okay, a couple more, and then we can get them. Yep. You made reference to uh, any additions to the Bible. Saving wins. So, mm-hmm. what does that mean for people like Mormons? <laughs> okay. All right. So, okay. Okay. So we're we're gonna actually. I'll, I'll hit that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna flee from that. But um, um, we're we're gonna get to that at the very last week about what it means to add or take away. But as we talked about earlier in Genesis, remember what Eve did? She twisted God's word, and Satan twisted. And Satan can do that through lies. He can also do it through truth. Satan will tell true things. He'll twist it out of context. But if you look at chapter three, and I think it's in verse 17, um, how Eve twists it and, and she adds the point, well, we can't even touch the tree. And God never said that. God never said that. And so that's what happens when we start adding or deleting from God's word. We open ourselves up to Satan. And that's how cults start. You get someone, they're mad at the church, they're mad at the estate, whatever it is, and they go, you know what, let's start a small group here. By the way, some of Satan's best places are in small groups. Some of Satan's best victories happen in small groups. Now, right now, Steve is turning over, but I'm not saying small groups are bad. Small groups are powerful, but be careful what's talked about. Be careful the gossip. Be careful because... And that's that's how a lot of cults start. You get this um, dynamic leader, and he goes, you know what? That's baloney. Let, let's start meeting over here. And then all of a sudden, they start going through it. And most often, it starts out with the, word, with the word, but they take it out of context. And before you know it, there's magazines printed. And all of a sudden, they've got this whole new doctrine, and then eventually, they have to create a new Bible. And they have to... One of the telltale signs of cults is add new truth. And changing. The Bible is the word of God. It does not change. Because God does not change. And so be very careful. Mormonism is a classic example. And I'll say it. Of a cult. Someone who is added to the word of God. Their Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. It is a huge victory of Satan. But listen to what I'm saying. Mormonism is evil. Mormons are not evil. Mormons are human beings who might be following the wrong Jesus, but Mormons are are people we need to be witnessing to. Not debating, but witnessing to through our actions, through our words, through our testimony. The greatest way you can witness to someone who is in a cult is by showing them the true word of God. Now, sometimes that means you have to take off their rose-colored glasses so they can see the word of God accurately. But they've got to somehow see what they are what they are worshiping or what they are believing is counterfeit. But in order for us to 
be able to expose that, we need to know what's true. Okay? And so that, that's where it comes to, we got, we've got to know what we believe. And that's why things like the mine and things like deeper Bible studies, that's important. Um, but I, I'm not a big fan of bashing people because of, uh, because of that, because uh, that, that's not going to win. Satan wins that, there too. Um, when debates end in a stalemate, Satan wins. So, um, off my soapbox. All right. Yep. Um, yep. I just have a question about these people who claim that they can uh, connect with people with the dead to send messages back. And you okay. Know, you hear all of these things all the time. Okay. Um, that, that's a dangerous, dangerous game. Um, as far as far as people saying, you know, I can, I can connect with your dead uncle or, or your dead grandmother or whatever, almost all of those are fake. They're staged um, or they're done by doing a trick. And um, I'm a big fan of this guy, even though he's one of the premier atheists in the world. Uh, um, but 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 the fan, uh, Penn and Teller and, and um, Randy, they're, they're very good at going and, and exposing tricks like that because it's basically a magic trick how, how they pull pull those type of things out. However, there are those who do, I think, access the spiritual world. But it's not grandma. It's evil. It's most likely a demon. Okay? And it's most likely um, a fallen angel. And so those are things you don't want to access. We don't have time to go over that. Um, but the Bible talks about the witch of Endor. You might want to look that up. Um, <laughs> the spiritual realm is is very powerful, and it's something that that we can't take lightly. There's there's a, a great story in Acts about the seven sons of Sceva, who uh, who are seeing what Paul is doing and seeing all these things that that Paul is doing in the name of Jesus Christ. They're like, "Wow, I'm going to do the same thing," and they start trying to exercise demons in the name of Jesus Christ, who they don't even know. And what happens? The demon gets up and whoops all seven of them, and they flee naked. Okay, it if if you don't get anything else from tonight, Satan and and Satanism and, and it's powerful stuff. It's powerful. But if there's teenagers in here that are looking for power, it's nothing compared to the power of Jesus. It's nothing compared to the power of God. Okay? Whenever we see Satan engaged in battle, he loses. He loses. Yep. Question, I mean, I notice in the Bible it talks about Israel a lot. You know, God is going to protect Israel. What about us that's here in the United States? Are we protected too? It seems like Satan is going towards Israel and want to attack Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and most of that comes from the fact that from, from and, and again, we can't be dogmatic on this, but we believe that from the very beginning of chapter 4 all the way through the middle part of 19, there's the rapture that happens and the church is no longer in play. And so Israel is there and God at, at times is protecting. And we see throughout the Old Testament how God protected Israel in, in times. Um, and when did God sort of remove that protection? It's when Israel started turning away from God. And so as far as today, as far as protecting the United, did you say protecting the United States? That would be good. But again, I'm gonna be, 
If the United States is in this position, great things are going to happen in the United States. If the United States is in the current position, and I'm not going political, both sides, bad things are in store for the United States. Okay, and this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. God is not Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. Um, he is a Buckeye, but aside from that, he's... <laughs> but when, when we focus, whether as an individual or as a nation on God, good, good things happen and protection comes. Okay, that's all we have for right. Thank you guys for coming. Hopefully invite some friends. Harvest Festival's coming up, and I'll be up here at the end. Oh, there's a little girl. You, you, you can't leave. Look at these people leaving. Just sit down. Sit down. There's one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, there's a question here. It's a little girl, but she pulled out her smartphone. I'm about to get leveled here, I think. <laughs> okay. You have a question? In verse 12, for, um, uh, for where it says, he is filled with fury. Because he knows that his time is short. Uh-huh. What does that mean? Okay. In the timeline, at the very end of time in Revelation, has, there's seven years. And it's in the tribulation. Satan gets thrown out right in the middle of the timeline. This serpent of old, who has been causing problems from here to here, from here to here has 1,260 days left. And he wants blood. And he wants, just as a red dragon, he wants to destroy anything and everything because he knows. Remember, Satan, by the way, Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He knows the Bible better than you do. He knows his time is short. Now, he might be demented in thinking he's going to win, but he knows his time is short, and so he's furious. He no longer has access to God. The final sort of throwdown of what was once a proud angel no longer has access to heaven. So that's why he, he, he's angry. Okay, cool. Again, thank you guys for coming. We'll be here up in front.